But I do think sometimes we can all put on a show of talking about our values mm. up front early on in a relationship. And sure, maybe someone professes their values up front and that's exactly who they are 10 years down the line. And like they put their money where their mouth is and they walk the walk, not just talk the talk. But like some people do also, you know, some people are just like, whether intentionally or not, I think profess their values in such a way to make it sound appealing because they want to be liked. Yeah. You know, so so I think that is the inherent struggle in just traditional going on dates with people is is we don't get a lot of information about who they're going to be in 10 years. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're going to be talking about annoyances and deal-breakers. Recently, we've been wondering, in an age of online dating where choice seems to be infinite, have we all gotten a little too picky? And is that causing us to miss out on or prematurely toss away partners who could be great for us? A lot of excellent potential partners out there could be the ones that we're eliminating just based on some random criteria. So today we're going to be discussing deal breakers, perpetual problems, and the concept of the price of admission for dating someone. So just to start us all out, when you hear the word deal breaker, what do you what do you think of? I imagine myself sitting in a wine bar across from a dude. Okay. And I have a very somatic experience of how it feels in my body after he said something horrible mm. and i'm just like well not this one I sure see. this not is like one. i went on a whole i went on a whole okay. journey wow. yeah wow okay <laughs> what about you jazz yeah f- in my mind it's more like yeah i'm a few dates in and it's kind of like ooh, yeah this isn't this isn't gonna work out right something about like for me you know they're not okay with non-monogamy I mean, that would probably mm, be like a first yeah. date. Or like that person thing. who licked your face? That person who licked my face. Yeah, I was just sort of oh. like, I'm sure, you know, sure people are <laughs> into that, that, but I'm not. And so for me, it was just like, I, no. No, I mean, for, I guess when I think deal breaker, I think something pretty seriously incompatible, though. Not even face licking necessarily. Yeah. Maybe if I said, don't <laughs> do that. If, if everything else was great, maybe we could have gotten past that. But it was just one of many things that weren't quite <laughs> compatible on that date. Yeah, now I get that. Those are it. And it was a human, not not a no, cute puppy. Yeah, also. If it's a puppy face looking, I'm totally cool. If puppy's listening to the show, I'm all about <laughs> it. Please hit me up. By all means, yes. <laughs> that's really funny. So that's interesting because the two of you immediately went to deal breakers when you're kind of starting a relationship. Right, like and on we're going to talk about something. Mm, yeah. yeah, sure. Exactly. We are going to talk about that first. And then we're going to get into more like deal breakery type questions regarding later on in a relationship or when you've been with a person for a long time. Because mm. I guess part of me thinks of deal breakers as something that might happen later on that you're like, you know what? That's not a thing that I'm cool with. And mm. I oh, sure. am going to leave now because. It, it is so incompatible or it's a thing that I don't 
think is okay to have in my life, for instance, something along those lines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that people can end up, you know, a relationship can turn into something they weren't quite bargaining for Mm -hmm. at the beginning, right? For various reasons. Someone can turn into a jerk or someone can become just really neglectful or maybe it's not even the other person necessarily being a jerk, but just, I don't know, they suddenly express their desire to like move across the country and pursue their dream job. And I know that's not going to work for me. Or they suddenly were like, actually, I do want kids, even though the last 10 years have been saying, I don't, you know, like all that kind of stuff I think happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's just, I guess when I think about those kinds of longer term things, I don't tend to associate that with the term deal breaker, even though I guess that Mm. the concept's still there. Because for me, it's like a deal breaker, at least where I understand the term to come from is more like we're trying to negotiate a deal in business, right? And there's some mm. term you have that I just cannot get behind. And so to me, it it's sort of associated with this kind of early on, are we even going to enter into a deal with each other or or keep doing this deal? Interesting. Versus... But aren't you kind of always <laughs> wheeling and dealing in a relationship? Right, right, definitely. <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> but I do think a lot of people tend to view deal breakers in the beginning of a relationship, like as something that's happening right at the beginning. So I do want to talk about that briefly because I looked out into the internet and tried to find some wacky <laughs> deal breakers. And there are a lot out there. And I've I've heard, you know, people who really have like strict things that they will and will not tolerate when they're dating someone Mm. and some i just i didn't even want to throw out there i didn't even want to write them down because they were really not cool and kind of Mm. gross and misogynistic but there were some that i found to have varying degrees of okay this is understandable too Uh, really this is not something that you'd at least be interested in seeing that person again if they did this but mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that i just want to pr- put that out there that if this if you happen to be a person who understands and is like yeah that's a deal breaker for me too there's nothing wrong with that that's totally fine but i did want to throw some out that i found to be a little like wow really that okay so let's talk about some of these uh eating with your mouth open or talking with food in your mouth now, okay. On a first date. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. This is interesting because I think this is where we're getting into stuff of like, okay, if you're going on a ton of dates and you're just looking for how can I simplify this process? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, this is something that really bothers me. Sure. But it's also one of those things of, isn't this a behavior that could change? It's a little different than like, sure. I do or don't want to have kids for sure versus. Yes. Uh, a manners thing that maybe could change. I don't know. That's some of the questions I have with a lot of these is this idea mm. of, you know, what's the difference between, oh, I just randomly decided to pick this cheeky thing that annoys me to be my deal breaker versus this is actually really serious and a relationship could not work with this person. Well, I don't know. It's so hard when we're in like dating culture, when everything's based on like first impressions. Yes. Right. And I think everyone comes into a date in a different interstate, right? You know, mm-hmm. like some people can come in and like they've been going through a dry spell for years and they're just like so desperate and they're they're on date number 25, first date number 25 after like a long string of duds and then, you know, it doesn't matter how many red flags the person gives off. They're like, oh my God, like one nice thing, I'm going to go for them, right? Versus someone who I think could be coming in on the opposite end, right? Where it's just like, oh, he opened his mouth once when he put a French fry in it. 
<laughs> yeah, I expect him to eat his French fries oh, only with his mouth closed somehow, um, you know, so he's off the table. It, it makes me think of many years ago when I was more of an active dater that I, yeah, I went on a first date with somebody who, um, like the date was okay. I was put off because he just like talked a lot, mm-hmm. you know, like talked a lot about himself in particular. Right. But I was like, I don't know. I feel like there's, I'm at least intrigued enough. Maybe I'll try to go for a second date. And then on the second date, like it was fine. And I learned, we ended up dating for a while. I learned in retrospect that he was like, yeah, I was super nervous mm, yeah, on yeah. that first date. And so like, that's what I do when I'm nervous. And they just end up talking a lot. And by the second date, he was more chill. And so in that case, I was bit. like, oh, I'm right. glad that I, that I like pushed past maybe that first impression and was at least intrigued enough. But I could see a different timeline where I was just like, nope, not into yeah. it. Don't yeah. care. Deal with this. Next. Yeah. Another one that I found is if their date is a mouth breather. I was like, what? Come on. Like, like some when? people just breathe through well, their mouths. Has some sinus issues. I know. Yeah, I agree. I'm like, what if? Like, come on. Yeah, 100%. I, other people wrote not being punctual to a date. That I kind of get. I mean, if you're not going to be punctual, then please say something. Please yeah. like, write. There, yeah, there, we, have, we have devices for such things. I think, okay, I, and I think I'm not the only one who's experienced this, that sometimes this is not how it is in reality, but sometimes what it feels like is like there's two camps of people. There's the I need to plan things people and there's the I go by the seat of my pants mm-hmm. with scheduling mm-hmm. people. I feel like I get that a lot with clients when they're tackling dating Mm -hmm. of yeah i really want to plan something for next wednesday but they're just like oh i just kind of figure things out the day of like i've run into that in dating relationships before and i think that might be a deal breaker for me yeah i mean that's Hmm. an incompatibility for sure potentially so that makes sense i and humor is a big one if you are somebody that finds that like yeah i have a really specific sense of humor and then all of a sudden the date doesn't like that humor that makes sense that maybe you would be like I, I'm not sure if we match oh, no, up that, well. That brings me back to that specific date that the memory came up for me oh. when you asked about deal breakers, mm. where, yeah, I just feel like this guy was just not following me mm. on the humor. He was like two beats behind. Oh, no. Always it would take him a long time to get out. I was just like, oh, I, ugh, this is not looking yeah, good. Yeah, different, well, different sense of humor, I guess. Indeed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some of these, I think, are... I guess that's the question, right? With a deal breaker, if it's going to be this kind of, I have this hard and fast deal breaker, it's, I think the spirit of it is, I want to head off bigger problems later on, right? So like with the being late to a date, or like the next one we have here is interrupting a lot. It's that Mm -hmm. idea of, okay, if I see that right away, that's probably an indicator. This is something I would deal with later on, and that's not something I'm okay with. But then it does make me think of Dedeker's example of that guy who talked a lot. And you might go, oof, gosh, this guy's so just full of himself. But it was actually, that's how he responded to being nervous. So there are some that it's like, okay, interrupting a lot. I'd be like, maybe that's worth two dates to just make sure that wasn't just a nervousness thing. But I guess it depends on the type of interrupting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think children are definitely a big deal breaker for some people. I saw it, it, one person wrote that if their partner or a potential mate had children under the age of four, then that was a no-go. Hmm. But other people said if if their partner had children at all, then that wasn't a thing that they were into. Right. One that's not on our list, but that I've heard come up within polyamory hmm. is having a primary partner already. 
Interesting. That's one that I've heard a lot of people whip out. Again, in the hope of I'll find partners who, I don't know, are more stable or less likely to want me to be monogamous or something, often based on some painful experiences they've had in the past. Yeah. Oh, as in wanting someone to already right. have partnership. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or, yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. Sure. I've yeah. heard that as well. Somebody else, actually, who I saw on a Quora website who is in the non-monogamous community because they're a little bit more well-known, wrote being somebody, if somebody is an anxious attachment style, then they won't go out with them. I did not appreciate okay, that okay, one I, as an anxious detriment, <laughs> but here we are. Yeah, that might be going a shade too far. I mean, I guess I can maybe empathize with and relate to probably what was the messy situation that they experienced with someone that they mm-hmm. felt was anxious attached and wanting to avoid that. Um, and also, I, I do think this is one of the, honestly, I think this is one of the failings of attachment theory is putting us into like four boxes. Yeah, good point. And then, and then we blame all our problems on it or blame our partner's problems on it and yeah. then think that we can avoid those problems ever again by just avoiding those particular people. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Another one that somebody said that apparently Demona Hoffman told Reader's Digest was a deal breaker for some of her clients is being vegan. Another one that I... uh I mean, I've seen it on Ouch. the opposite side, too. I've seen plenty of vegans that are mm. like, I'm not going to date anyone who's not vegan. That's also. true. Well, I'm already dating mm-hmm. someone who's not vegan, so whatever. But yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also bigger things like incompatible politics or, you know, it, it, some people were upset because their partner, that person felt they felt as though they weren't anticipating their needs or they expected their needs to be anticipated, and that's not really a thing that one can do very easily. It's that interesting. It's of, almost like those yeah. are two opposite sides of the same thing, right? Totally. Like either yeah, expect- it, they were two different people. Yeah, they expected but me yes. to just know all their needs, or they weren't paying attention to mine, which is maybe that same person totally. said that about the other person. <laughs> there you go. Very mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, so these are fascinating. I think it's just interesting to look at all of the different things that people will or will not tolerate in a potential partner. But I I wanted to move on to something that I saw from Esther Perel, which kind of got more granular into a thing called a relationship checklist. And Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. sort of takes some of these things but then writes them out and and you might have a checklist where you look and say like, I want this kind of thing in a person or I don't want this kind of other thing in a partner. And they're trying to essentially find the perfect mate based on those exact things. Right. Like they have to match these particular criteria. You know, they have to be yes. at least this height and they have to have this type of job or this type of mm-hmm. dog or whatever it is yeah all these very particular things but do you think do you think people in reality actually go that vapid with the relationship checklists i don't know I mean, i'm sure some people do i'm sure it's it's not like this is a zero you know like probability thing but i'm just trying to think of like how does this tend to play out in real life didn't i talk to people yeah the two of you about those women on the bus with me as i was going into work in oh, hong yes. kong and right. I I found that to be really interesting because they really very much had this idea of exactly what this person was going to look and be like, essentially. And something that Esther Perel pointed out as well is that if there is a person who's gone through a divorce, 
that they have this idea in their mind of exactly what it is that they don't want in a partner because they Mm. may have had it previously. But then again, there is you can kind of paint yourself into a corner by having all of these things that you decide that you don't want. And if you meet someone who has one of those traits, perhaps, then does that automatically mean that you get rid of them? Well, yeah. So I I do want to explore Dedeker's question a little bit in that context there, too, of, you know, Mm. what does this look like more realistically, right? Because sure, there's people it's like, oh, they have to have this color eyes and this color hair and be this tall and whatever, right? So let's just say right now, if those are your standards for who your partner is going to be, you're wrong. Stop doing that. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Now, what's the like more, I guess, sneaky way that this can come in. And I think it it shows up in areas potentially like they, you know, have to already be partnered or married or not mm. married or have never been married or things like that. Again, often yeah. coming from a place of I dated someone who had been married before and they just had so much trauma about that divorce that they just couldn't connect with me. And it was a miserable experience. And I felt like I was constantly chasing after them. And I never want to go through that again. So I'm going to kind of set this criteria of like, they have to be someone who's never been married. And it's, yeah, you know, coming from a place of, I want to avoid this painful experience I had before. But, and I think this is what Esther Perel was getting at when talking about it, is this idea that by being overly reliant on this checklist... Mm-hmm you kind of box yourself in and maybe you're eliminating some options that are, you know, that would have been good, that could have been great. And possibly even then encouraging yourself to get into relationships with people where you have the same problems because you thought, oh, it's because of this thing. And it might actually just be personality or just, you know, bad luck or bad communication style mismatch Mm. or something like that. Yeah, that's an interesting point you bring up that because I think you can see sort of that spirit coming through that so many of these relationship checklists are not necessarily coming from people where it's, it's my first relationship ever. And this is my ideal person. And often it comes on the heels of, well, these are the ways, these are the painful lessons that I've learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and, I, and again, not that it's all bad, but I know I think about myself over the past year kind of recovering from you know, this big breakup I had at the beginning of last year and really integrating that and trying to think about what does that mean and who was I in that relationship? Who do I want to be in the next one? What kind of, what did I learn about partnership or what I'm, what's compatible with me as far as like long-term relationships are concerned? And yeah, like right on the heels of the breakup when things were the most painful, it was like, no more straight white <laughs> ever yeah, again. Like that was the problem I've all along. Many, sure. many times uh, or yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Now, I will say I haven't 100% put that one down, yeah. um, but but it's not, it, I'm not pinning all of my hopes and dreams and, and fears and everything on like, oh yeah, that was the linchpin. That was the main problem. But I think I have identified some things where I'm like, okay, I think I see some particular core Attributes. values. Yeah. yeah, some core values that I think I really do need to share with mm. a potential partner, you know? And I think that's actually a good thing for me to think about going into the future. Mm. But yeah, I, I think especially in this past year, I've gone through a whole plethora of different versions of trying to integrate what the end of that relationship meant and what it means for, you know, how I seek partners going forward. And it's gone from the more vapid and superficial to something a little bit more deeper. And I think you've hit on something really important there is that 
on the one hand, we could sit here and look at these things and say, hey, don't don't be so restrictive in in who you're trying to match with. You know, don't limit yourself. You know, explore, see maybe there's a good partner out there who wouldn't fit this checklist that you have, even if it's sort of an unconscious mm-hmm. one. But on the other hand, as Dedeker's bringing up, there is also something to be said for if you notice a pattern of I've now been in several relationships where I'm constantly struggling against the fact that my pers- my partner, these different partners that I've dated are maybe just not very motivated about, I don't know, their, their work or to keep their house clean. Yeah. And I've constantly been frustrated about this value not matching up. Okay, maybe that is something that I should take more seriously. So it's it's not just yeah. to say like don't ever have these restrictions, but it's kind of fine, like, okay, sure, no straight white guys. But maybe really it's about I want to be sure that I'm dating people who aren't quite so ignorant to the privilege that they have or who are willing to be kind of more yeah. caring and more aware of how they are affecting the people around them and that yeah. just happens to often line up with straight white guys, but that that's not right. Guys, that that's yeah. not necessarily uh-huh. the the thing <laughs> itself. Yeah. But maybe that does mean prioritize <laughs> that value and not and to not keep accepting. Mm. Oh, I'm going to keep putting up with relationships with people who don't treat me very well or who don't think about how they affect others or who aren't aware of how good they have it or something like that. So there's it's kind of that. Yes, it is worth taking those things seriously. There's a push-pull. There's a constant tension there. There is. Absolutely. I did want to just say this one lovely quote from the article that Esther Perel wrote, where she says, Partnership is about navigating inevitably contrasting desires, wants, needs, and rhythms. Aligning on values is essential, but from there, find joy in the friction of growing together. Yeah, she always, I feel like she always wants like a little bit of friction. She's like cool. Yeah, with that. she does. You know, yeah. Esther. I don't She's know. Really hot. She gets real hot. Yeah. A little, just a little, just, just a little, a little spice, you know? a little friction. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. She does seem to come back to that theme of we don't want boring, right? We don't want yeah. to. So, yeah, this is the same every day. Right. And I know everything. Perfectly every, gelled, perfectly. Right. Aligned. I know everything about my partner. We're always yeah. together doing everything. She's there very much. There is something to that, though. We can be different. Very people. much. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's why she's essentially saying, it, she called a relationship checklist as having sort of an air of a performance review mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. yeah, if that's just what you're doing initially with a partner, it, never deciding that you want to be around anyone who doesn't fit that checklist, then yeah, where is the tension? Where is the the fun in finding someone that surprises you? It's such a hard task, though, when it comes to, again, like modern day traditional dating culture, because our first impressions are about do they breathe out of their mouth or not? (laughs) Yeah. And sure, like, well, usually our first impression is just a picture on a website. Right. Yeah. Is like, do I find them hot enough based on what sort of beauty standards I've internalized for myself? Right. But and maybe this sounds a little bit dismissive. But I do think sometimes we can all put on a show of talking about our values mm. up front early on in a relationship. And sure, maybe someone professes their values up front and that's exactly who they are 10 years down the line. And like they put their money where their mouth is and they walk the walk, not just talk the talk. But like some people do also, you know, some people are just like, whether intentionally or not, 
I think, profess their values in such a way to make it sound appealing because they want to be liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so so I think that is the inherent struggle in just traditional going on dates with people is is we don't get a lot of information about who they're going to be in 10 years, unfortunately. Uh, well, that's thought of this? understandable, though, because <laughs> they don't even know who they are going to be then. I know, but it's like we want that information about the deep values to know sure. if we're actually compatible there. But like we're starting out on this more surface level plane and kind of have to dig down. Yeah. Like ar- archaeologists of <laughs> dinosaurs on dates. I'm it <laughs> seems like that's sort of the, the core of it. There is what's the difference between a core value, whether they say it or whether I have to go on enough dates to really observe them living that value. But, you know, what is this kind of disagreement that Esther Perel talks about of saying mm. part of a relationship is learning how we tolerate disagreements? And, you know, the Gottmans talk about a lot of relationships have some kind of perpetual problems that you will never see eye to eye on. But on the other hand, what are those values that are actually core enough that this is this is going to be a miserable experience for one or probably both of us because we don't align on this, right? I mean, like, Non-monogamy and monogamy is kind of an easy yeah, one to go it's a for, big one. right? If you have very different values on those two things, no matter how much you love each other and like everything else, this is going to be a painful thing forever for your entire yeah. relationship. And so that's hard to get past something like that, uh, right? We've talked before about um, kids is another one. If one person really wants kids and the other is sure that they don't, you know, and you're monogamous, and that's kind of the way you're structuring your relationship. There's not really a way that this is going to go well without one of you living a life that's not the life you want. And so sure. that's pretty serious. And so those are easy ones, but the ones that are a little harder to tell are those more subtle values about how do you yeah. live in the world? How do you treat your partner? How do you treat other people? How do you approach your job? How do you live in your house? You know, how clean are you? Those things are, it's like trying to find where on this threshold does that fit? Is that that kind of, we're incompatible yeah. or is this just, okay, I could learn to to have a disagreement about this and still have a good life with this person. And it can be so subtle and so tricky and so different for everyone because to take like the punctuality example, sure. for some someone it may just be like, yeah, that's annoying. Oh my God, they're always 15 minutes late. They can't get it together. Oh my goodness. Like, Yes, it annoys me and I wish that they were more on time, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I still love them. They still love me. I know they're not doing it on purpose or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Versus for somebody, it could be like, this constantly feels disrespectful. Yeah. You know, and like, and like that gets more to that core stuff. I've been disrespected in this way before. And so the history of my life is such that I, I simply like can't tolerate this anymore. And I think the same thing with, yeah, like cleanliness of a house, right? That it can be like, okay, yeah, it's annoying. They don't rinse out their coffee mug or whatever um, sometimes, but it's okay, whatever. Like, it's not a big deal for me to just do it. Versus it's like... I'm imagining the next 50 years of my life cleaning up after this person and hating it. Exactly. This next 50... And and this person, like, never seeing the impact that it has on Mm -hmm. me or never caring about the fact that I'm, like, running ragged from work and then still have to clean up. You know, so it's, it's like, it is on a spectrum, I think, where for some people it can be, sure, it's annoying, but it's okay all the way to the end of, like, no, this is really not okay. And I don't think one of those is right or wrong. It's just different. 
I feel like the two of you are perhaps jumping the gun a touch just because I did want to talk about this more in a little bit regarding perpetual problems, annoyances, especially those that happen over a long period of time. And all of this is great conversation. But before we do all that, let's take a quick break. Yeah. If you love this content and appreciate getting all of this to everyone out there in the world for free on their podcast machines, we would love your support. The easiest way to do that is to just take the time to listen to our advertisers. And if any sound interesting to you, go check them out. And also look into things like our Patreon community and things like that. It really does directly support our show when you check out our sponsors or our Patreon. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. Now, I'm fascinated by this podcast episode of the Ezra Klein podcast that had Dan Savage on it pretty recently. This is kind of what got me interested in this topic, period. Just talking about deal breakers, talking about what it is that irks us and that is okay or not okay in a relationship. And Dan Savage talked about many, many things on that episode of the Ezra Klein podcast. And I really hope that at some point we can have him on the show or be on his show or something, because I do think that some of our value is a lion and it would be interesting to talk to someone who's been immersed in this community for so long. But additionally, there was one thing that struck me that I was fascinated to talk to the two of you about, and that was his concept of the price of admission. And have the two of you heard about this before today? I have, but not in the I context mean, yeah, of I've, Dan I've... Savage, to be honest. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because he talked about it first in 2010 on a YouTube video. And I, li I listened to the video. It was really good. 
he had a lot of things to say on it, but essentially he was discussing his partner and how his partner does some things that are kind of annoying to him. For instance, he'll like make a sandwich and then he'll leave all of the sandwich materials out like in the hot 90 degree sun, essentially, and not put them back. Yeah, and not put them back. I know. (laughs) And Dan Savage also was like, this is, you know, bullshit. I'm so pissed about this. And he would be yelling (laughs) at his partner about it. Like, why haven't you put this away? Why haven't you done that? Like, put all of these things away. And then he realized one day, you know, it's just, it takes like 10 seconds for me to just put it away, whatever. And yes, I hate this about him. Like, I don't like the fact that he does this. But it's just kind of the price of admission for being with this guy. Okay. The two of you already are like... But also, can I point out... (laughs) Yes. Also, can I point out that, like, he's in a relationship with another man. Yes. Which has its own dynamics to it, right? Which is maybe a little bit different from, you know, relationships between straight men and women, which carry with it different gender dynamics Uh as far as who's responsible to stop thinking about the sandwich as soon as they get what they want and who's Mm -hmm. responsible to think about the logistics of our home and making sure it doesn't smell and that our sandwich supplies don't go stinky and rotten in the sun. So I better put them away. He did talk Um, about that that tends to fall along particular lines. So yes, he did talk about that a bit for sure. And that heterosexual relationships in general are probably harder just because there are things. He's been on that rag for years. Yes, yes, absolutely. Jace, you had something to say as well. No, I just, I was going to say that the the gender thing Dedeker brought up, absolutely, because this could be a sign of some bigger things, value mismatches, yes. like we talked about before. But I was also going to say that even without the gender part of it, there is that thing of, sure, takes me 10 seconds to clean it up. But my question is, is it only in this one situation where this behavior happens? Or is this just one particular thing that bugs you, but actually this is part of a much bigger pattern of lack of consideration or lack of willingness to try to change a behavior that's upsetting to my partner or that inconveniences them and they're having to do work for me. So to me, it raises well, that question. If I were, if, if Dan, if Danny boy were my, you know, client <laughs> and we were having a session or something, those would be some of the questions I would be wanting to get at of it's, all well and good to say maybe that is just okay this is my price of admission and it sounds like it Mm -hmm. is for him and but my question for someone else would be well is it just this because sure if it's like okay 10 seconds once a day to put away their sandwich makings fine but if it's 10 seconds many many times a day in many areas of my life constantly Mm -hmm. that's a Mm -hmm. bigger problem i think yeah and i do get that i think uh, one of his big takeaways in speaking about this is that everyone has a price of admission. And even if you can't see it internally about yourself, you have one too. And that your partner or partners have to give you that grace, I guess, for lack of a better word, (laughs) while you do the same thing to them. We talked a lot about first dates at the beginning and I didn't want to, I didn't want to say anything (laughs) until this moment, just simply because I think so many of us tend to, put our best foot forward on a first date and we want to look and act and and feel and sound like we're the the most heightened wonderful versions of ourselves and that often is what our partners initially fall in love with but then as they get to know us especially if they live with us or if it's over a long period of time 
we are not that person anymore. We're a, a, a diminished version of that to a degree. And that's something that he talks about. And that every... You don't think you get hotter and cooler over time? I mean, I would like to think that parts of me are hotter and cooler, but parts of me are older and less hot, probably. And I mean, I will and, just say personally, in my relationships with the two of you, uh, yeah. I think you've both gotten cooler and more fun. Oh, and there's well, parts of you that you did not present at first that I've gotten to know mm-hmm. over many years that I like much better true. than the original version. Yeah. So. yeah, but there's also annoying shit that I oh, do. Oh, for sure. Oh, you both annoy me too. Yeah, present. let's not. Yeah, no, I mean, of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah, likewise. But but no, I mean, that's the thing, though. I think I think what, what he's getting at and something to just be aware of is that we all have our shit. Yeah. And that point, yeah. that's part of being in a relationship with someone and you never... You can't like change a person in a relationship and you have to take ownership also for deciding I'm going to put up with this every day or I'm not and not necessarily bitch and moan about it. And I'm saying that to myself because I'm fucking the queen of bitching and moaning. But I also especially to the zoo of you, but I also like if I'm going to be in relationship or friendship or whatever with the person, I also have to know like I'm choosing every day to do that. Sure. And I think we can extrapolate it to that, right? I think the way I heard someone put it once is that, you know, when we choose a partner, we're just choosing which set of problems we want to deal with. Sure. Right. And so it feels like it's sort of this in-between ground where, I mean, I'm of the opinion that if you want a different set of problems, I think that's fine. Mm -hmm. Right. If it's like, yeah, my partner doesn't clean up after themselves and you know, their in-laws or my in-laws, their family doesn't treat me well. And we've never really seen eye to eye on this particular topic or whatever. That maybe that all adds up to be enough for you where you can accept, okay, yeah, I know maybe there's not like a super perfect partner out there for me, but I think I'd rather take a different set of imperfections rather than these ones. These are just like sapping my energy and my life force and my happiness just enough, Mm -hmm. right? Versus I think that, yeah, probably what Danny Boy is speaking to here is this idea that in relationship, maybe we can be annoyed with our partner and maybe have this fantasy that like, oh, I haven't found the right one yet. I haven't found the perfect one mm-hmm. yet. But that perfection you know, I, doesn't I can exist. go out and find the perfect one. Yeah, that the perfection doesn't mm-hmm. exist. But I think it is okay. I, like, I think I, just what I worry is I don't want anyone to just feel like, none of my complaints or annoyances in relationship matter because everyone is going to be equally as annoying to me. And I'm like, that's not the case. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not suggesting People are going to be annoying to you, not all equally annoying to you. Sure, sure. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, so again, I think that, you know, when you want to have popular YouTube videos, you got to take a hard stand on things. That's why we're not as popular, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) But... (laughs) Fine. Because we're always trying to find the middle path here. But... yeah. But I do think that should have been our podcast name, the middle path. You're right. (laughs) The middle path, the boring, the multi emery middle path. (laughs) Multi emery colon, the most boring, boring AF, boring, the most boringest relationship show you've ever listened to. Oh, gosh. Hold on. Okay. What I was actually trying to say, though, is that (laughs) yes, I think that what Dan Savage and then also Esther Perel, from what we were reading earlier, what they're both reacting to are seeing people just kind of being unwilling to 
to see the flaws Budge. in someone else and to continue mm-hmm. to accept that or to learn to communicate with someone who views the world different from the way that they do, right? That that's what they're reacting to by coming down more on this side of, hey, no, actually, you should learn to get along with people that you don't always agree with, or this is just the price of admission. You've got your own shit too. And I think that if I were talking to someone who I saw doing that, I'd be saying these exact same things. And I think some of this is great. Like from Dan's video in 2010, he said, the things you aren't willing to put up with, you should be able to count on one hand and they can't be bullshit. That's kind of what we were saying in the first half of this, right? Sure. It shouldn't be all these little nitpicky things, but more what are the core values that really matter and they can't be bullshit. Yeah. But on the other hand, if I was talking to someone and saw them constantly putting up with having to do a lot more of the Mm -hmm. emotional labor in their relationship or the actual physical labor of keeping their house put together or just were kind of letting themselves get taken advantage of because they Mm -hmm. feel like, oh, well, that's just what I have to do to have a relationship. I might come down on the other side and encourage them to have more of these. So that's what we mean about trying to find this middle path of where's the line between I'm cutting people out of my life over things that just no one's going to be perfect versus am I accepting not being treated well or your partner doesn't even have to be bad, but am I accepting being in a relationship that's really not a very good compatible one just Mm -hmm. because I think, oh, well, that's just what I have to put up with. So it's, there's a, it's a balance to be found there. Yeah, I think it it falls in line with a lot of, I mean, sometimes there's an inherent, I don't want to call it like a contradiction necessarily, but I guess I'll go back to that idea of tension or a push-pull, right? Because I I think this falls under this umbrella of, on the one hand, yeah, relationships are work. They're not always easy. They don't always feel good. You got to put in effort. And also, on the other hand, relationships should be a drag. Mm, sure. You know, yeah, and it yeah. shouldn't be like pulling teeth and it shouldn't be just like tiring you out or, or miserable. And it's like those both of those things can seem contradictory. And yet I think they're both true at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. We always yeah, want the quick, easy rule of like, just follow this rule of but have there's less not, than five deal breakers and then you're okay. We always want it to yeah, be easy, but it's not. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it, to kind of close us out here, I did want to talk about those perpetual problems Mm. and gridlocked problems versus solvable problems and sort of ask the question of how does one figure out what is maybe just the price of admission versus one of these things that may be a relationship ender or relationship changer at the very least. Mm. Yeah. So we talked about solvable and perpetual problems in our upcoming book. When we were talking about a, a repair shop, which you can go back and listen to that episode, and I used the word history earlier, and I think that that comes down to a lot of these these problems that tend to happen is our internal history, our history with them in relation to our partner, and exactly what that means for the relationship, and if it if it is something that can be solved or not. Can you do a little yeah, a little also, refresher? Yeah, let's Dedeker. refresh first before we get to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I feel like we cite this research all the time that came out of the Gottman Institute that they the way they tend to think about it is that, according to them, their numbers is that sixty nine percent nice of all relationship conflict is about perpetual problems. 
versus solvable problems. And their examples, it might be something like, hey, we really need to get on a schedule to go to the grocery store, says person A. And person B is like, yeah, I know, but like things have been really busy at work. I don't know about this. And person A is like, I don't know, this is really important to me. We got to figure out how to go to the grocery store. And person B is like, okay, well, I think it should. we should do this schedule. And person A is like, I, I don't know about that schedule. What if we do this schedule? So technically we're in conflict, right? Technically we're disagreeing. Technically there's a problem. But at the end of that conflict, there can be a clear solution, yeah. right? It's like, okay, we've decided we're going to do this schedule for going to the grocery store more frequently or on a regular schedule. We're going to try this. There it is. Problem solved. Yeah. Or at least, you know, we've put something in place that we're going to try, right? Versus, you know, the perpetual problems, which falls under some of the purview of what we've been talking about of, do we have kids? If we have kids, how do we discipline or parent yeah. our kids? Yeah. Um, how, what religious beliefs are we going to teach to our kids? Uh, are we, what's our format of relationship? Are we monogamous? Are we non-monogamous? Uh, what are going to be our retirement goals? Um, how do I handle the fact that, you know, we're non-monogamous and my partner has a different sexual risk tolerance than I do? Mm. How do we deal with the fact that I prefer to stay home on a Saturday night and you want to go out on a Saturday night? Like these things where it often comes down to your personalities sometimes or these really strong preferences where, again, like with the kids thing, if like I don't really want to have kids and my partner does, there isn't a solution to that necessarily no. of like, well, we'll just have half a kid or just you will have a kid. You know, I mean, again, that's, of course, there's all kinds of different, you know, fantastic polyamorous, non-monogamous relationship anarchist arrangements, but I'm kind of talking about most people in traditional relationships, right? So, that's what we're talking about with these like perpetual problems versus solvable problems. And that's something to understand there too, is that it's unique to each person. It's not like this type of problem is always a perpetual one and this type is solvable. Yeah. That something that's a solvable problem of, oh yeah, let's just figure out how we want to organize cleaning our house and splitting up chores. Great. Solved. Done. Right. For another couple, that same disagreement could be something that we never see eye to eye on. But this doesn't mean that it's always going to be miserable. And that is something I, sure. I find with the way the Gottmans categorize these of like solvable and perpetual problems, I think sometimes sets up this expectation. One a little, yeah. Right. That if we have this perpetual one, this is always going to suck as much as it does right now, for example. Exactly. And that's not yeah, the case. Yeah, that's and, not the case. And they talk a lot mm -hmm. about ways to do that. And that's what our repair shop is based on is that idea of how do we better understand each other? And that even though we'll never get to the same level of having the same values of this thing, we can hopefully understand each other, find a way to make this work for us. And maybe we can't. And that's I mean, maybe that is the deal breaker then. But I, I did want to clarify that at least. It's not to say that 69% of your relationship conflicts are always going to suck as much as they do right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those the difference I think lies in when as the Gottmans say, a perpetual problem becomes gridlocked and it becomes a thing that's really difficult to speak about to your partner. That when you do talk about it, when you do try to come to some sort of agreement or some sort of understanding, it just gets really bogged down by all of the emotion that comes up in speaking about that problem. And I think that that's what we're trying to get away from here, especially when we're talking about repair shop or things along those lines. And if we're trying to figure out what is the price of admission versus what is 
something that may cause a relationship to maybe eventually end or not be as fun and awesome as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, well, maybe one of the advantages of being non-monogamous is having a lot of experience in many different types of relationships, mm-hmm. many different types of people. And, you know, I feel like I've had talks about things like money with many different partners in the past or talks about with cohabitating partners, you know, how do we keep the house clean many times in the past? And I feel like I've had a lot of experiences along that spectrum of some some relationships where it's like, this isn't a problem at all. Yeah. Very easy to solve. And some relationships where it's like, no, this is a source of conflict and we can't even speak about it without it just falling apart. Wow. And it does feel like there is something deeper there around how are the two of us able to communicate, right? You know, some of it can be values stuff. Like some of it comes down to fundamental, like we're just too different on the topic of money or we're just too different on the topic of what we want in a home or how we want to keep a home clean or things like that. But in that middle ground, I I think in my experience, it has come down to, can we communicate in a gentle, loving, compassionate way? Can we make an effort to understand each other? Are we willing to try experiments? You know, are we willing to try to meet in the middle and try things on? And I feel like that's what's turned these quote-unquote perpetual problems into something that doesn't suck yeah. as much, that maybe turns it into more of a passing annoyance rather than I'm envisioning the next 50 years of my life having to deal with this shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just love coming back to that idea that for some people, that perpetual problem, we can get past that, and for others, we can't. Like with the monogamy and polyamory difference even. Mm. It's like for some people, they find a monopoly type relationship that does actually make them both happy. But for a lot of people, they try and try and try to make it work and it's miserable. And then eventually it has to end or one person just stays miserable forever. So it's definitely worth really spending some time thinking about those things. So let's move into our takeaways section for this episode. So basically to recap some of the stuff we've been talking about is having an idea of what you want in a partner is great but be careful about limiting yourself too much to what you think might be causing the issue that might not actually be the core of the issue because you might be eliminating people that could be a great match for you. And that some things that you thought you wanted in a partner might actually turn out to be things you dislike in a partner, (laughs) or it could go the opposite way as well, where this thing that I thought I would never date someone who would do this actually becomes something endearing and that I've learned to love myself. Mm. Yeah, and it's good to remember that there are certain things in a relationship that may never change, and that's okay. Remember that we are limited in like which problems are actually solvable versus not. And some of these unsolved problems may be annoying. They could also be part of this price of admission to being in a relationship, you know. And if you still feel like you can fundamentally love and accept your partner if you feel like they still fundamentally love and accept you. If you still feel like the two of you can actually communicate, then maybe this is just the price of admission. Also, something that came up in a blog that I read about the price of admission was that that idea, that kind of concept can help in ways other than just romantic relationships. For example, if you are looking at a job and you got a job offer, but the job is 45 minutes away from your home. So you're going to have to have like a long commute every single day. You can think about, is that just the price of admission for that job? Or is that something that's a deal breaker for me? And ultimately, 
a place that I don't want to have to, you know, drive to for that long and take that long out of my day every single day to do. Also, you can think about friendships. Am I finding myself really emotionally or mentally preparing to go see a person? Is that just because, hey, they're a little bit intense and i that's kind of the price of admission to being around them? Or is that a thing that's a big deal breaker for me and I don't really want to have to deal with that in my life anymore? Also, you know, in activities, various things, I, I tend to say yes, and I've talked about it in the show, I tend to say yes to so many things, even if it's not necessarily something that I really want to do because I don't want to let people down. But do you really want to do that thing? Is that, hey, I'm getting to take a bid and be around a person that I care about? Or is it not worth it to me because this is really not a place that I want to go for an hour of my time every week or something along those lines? So there's a variety of ways that you can kind of use this concept and really think about, is this worth my time and my effort? and everything that I may need to put into this thing that I'm doing or should I not be doing that? Yeah. I always encourage people to look for the patterns too of, okay, yeah, it's one mm-hmm. thing to say, all right, I'll go with my partner to see a band or a friend to see this band that like I'm meh on going to see shows, but they love it. <laughs> That's great. Versus Every time we're hanging out, we're doing stuff that I'm just like, I really would rather not do that, but I guess yeah. I have to because I want to hang out with this person. That's maybe an indicator that this is a more significant issue that needs to be addressed or potentially needs to change the shape of that relationship, whether that's a friend or a partner or whatever. One helpful resource for determining that is talking to a therapist or potentially a trusted friend. Again, with both of those it's hard because they might have their own biases coming in, especially if your friend sure. is also friends with this other person. They might have their own different relationship with them that colors how they're going to answer you. So, you know, a therapist or a counselor or a coach can be a nice resource because they're removed from your social group and your situations. You can hopefully be a little bit more objective there. Um, and just really consider, you know, is this a price of admission that I'm willing to pay? And if you're not, that doesn't mean they're a bad person. You don't have to say, oh, they're a horrible person and that's why I'm not hanging out with them as often or that's why I'm de-escalating our relationship or that's why I'm breaking up with this person. They could be perfectly great for someone else and let them have that relationship and let you have one that is perfectly great for you as well. Uh, But while realizing that maybe it is worth the price of admission and maybe this is okay and maybe I could stop bitching about this quite so much, Right. Maybe that will make me happier to just realize, you know what? Sure. I'm going to accept that we disagree on this thing and hopefully we can find a good way to communicate that and get out of that gridlock if we do have that. And that's where things like seeing a therapist or a counselor together could be really helpful. Also, things like radar of having that monthly Mm -hmm. check in because this isn't going to be solved in one talk. Right. This is something that's going to take some time of rebuilding that connection and understanding each other and deciding how to move forward. So something like radar, checking in regularly, and using something like our repair shop for how to reconnect after you've had that disconnect and things have gotten very emotional and intense. Potentially even combine the two, right? Use the repair shop structure within a radar, for example, to work on something that you've seen come up several times in the last month, for example. 
Alrighty. Well, we all learned something today. We all we all had a good a good think, a good conversation. <laughs> I I love episodes like this where we get to kind of wax poetic about a lot of different things mm-hmm. and not come to a specific consensus, but that's okay. We chose the middle path as always. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, our question of the week, which is going to be on our Instagram stories, is what is the price of admission for your relationships? Do you complain about it or do you try your best to let it go? I'm really interested to hear like the specific things mm. that everyone has out there. Yeah. If you are willing to to tell them, which I'm sure some people will be for sure. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Bavanetta. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. What's up, you guys? We are Cocktails or Discussions. I'm Kiki Said So. And I am Medina Monroe. And if you love talking about dating in today's world, all the things in between, check out our show. Yeah, take a listen to one of our favorite episodes. Mm. Everybody <laughs> fluid for real. Everybody just going with the flow, goddamn. Yes, Some you. women can't call themselves fluid if you try not to eat pussy. You what? talking about, well, I don't eat pussy. But you're scared of a little fluid. Don't be a little scared of fluid now what if you fluid. That fluid tastes good. If you have been dating someone for six years, and you find out that your boyfriend of six years is your brother. Like, full, both same parents. It's It'd be weird if they do stop. They had family reunions and you looking at it like, damn, I know my sister got good pussy. <laughs> I'm gonna stay. Check out new episodes of Cocktails Dirty Discussions every Thursday on your favorite podcast app or YouTube.